Let's start with prayer. Father God, we are thankful for this time and ask that you would work in our hearts to recognize not only the need for discipleship, but also perhaps some solutions and developing a path forward that we could see more of this intentional discipleship in our churches. For your honor, for your glory, for the edification and the growth of your body. We pray this in Jesus' name. So the title for this forum is Disciples Making Disciples. Did anyone read the little blurb, blurb um, in, the, in the pamphlet? Negative? Yes. Got some. Okay, thank you. So there, there is a concept there that I don't necessarily bring out explicitly in, in, the, in the forum, but I reference Hebrews 12.1, which compares the Christian life to a race. And so often the distinction that's made is, well, it's not a sprint, it's a marathon. And I heard a qualification to that. Well, it's not even that. It's actually a relay race. And I really like that idea of this bata- the passing of the baton from, from one generation to another or, or one believer to another as, as we carry the word of God forth and, and spread it. And so I'm, I'm just going to read it. Um, rather, it's a relay race as one passes the baton to the next. How do we harness the energy of those excited to serve? to provide them an avenue to express their zeal, how we communicate vision and purpose, to encourage the body, how do we invest across generations so that together we form a strong matrix of love relationships that respects our traditional roots but is culturally relevant. Jesus commands us to make disciples. The Bible is right with examples. Discipleship is an integral to strong church communities appropriately aligned with the mission statement of our Lord. And this forum is to help encourage us to that end. I don't come with answers in terms of like, I'm an expert discipler and, and, and I know exactly what I'm doing. But this is something that's been, I would say, always on my heart after becoming a believer. And uh, even at a young age, wanting to either um, maybe teach or invest in another individual. And um, I think it's something that's that's lacking. I think it's something that we agree that's lacking. And from the, the forum this morning, I think this is maybe kind of a, a subset follow-up on one of those things within our denomination, within our churches, that we can work on so that we don't suffer from, um, or at least we don't carry out the prognosis of, of an unhealthy church to a dying or maybe dead church. So a key word that I'll probably emphasize again and again with this is intentional. Intentionality, I think, is extremely important when it comes to discipleship. I'll leave it at that. Okay, so introductory thoughts, kind of similar to the blurb that's read, but to highlight some of these. And I do want this to be interactive, so if you do have a comment to make, something kind of just, you know, a light bulb goes off in your mind, or if you want maybe a comment that you think is edifying for the class, um, I'll pass the mic around and you can share that. So please feel free to interrupt me. I have the charts here, the slides here, and it's not difficult to get back into the rhythm of things. So you can stop me as, as you see fit. Um, but here are some introductory thoughts. Discipleship, I think, is super integral to effectively communicate the vision and purpose, right? And, and a lot of these principles, just for those of you in a corporate kind of an environment, right, these carry over to mentorship that a lot of businesses roll out, right? And they see the importance and value of this, of, of, of knowledge that is only really um, transferred by mentoring and, and can't so effectively be taught in a university setting. And I think there's a similar sense here of discipleship. And so effectively communicating vision I think about a lot of people in my generation left our church. A number of reasons, some good, some bad, but I think some of those reasons 
correspond to this idea of it's like nothing's really happening that's exciting. I'm excited for the Lord. I'm excited about His Word. I'm excited to teach and to, and to do all this. And it's like, well, I look around, not much is happening. And if there's not much to get excited about, it can foster this apathy or weak fellowship or lack of service. And that, that goes hand in hand with this harnessing of the energy of those who want to serve. I can think of nothing more discouraging than a young person wanting to do something and those in authority saying, you know what, calm down. You'll, you'll eventually chill out and kind of, you know, coast with the rest of us. Right? And it doesn't come across like that. That's, that's, that's really discouraging language. But it's something of that flavor where it's like, just settle down. Like, okay, hold your horses. We can't change the world here, right? Um, and to me, it's like, why would you want to quench such a such a spirit that wants to do something. We need to harness that energy, not quench it, right? And I think discipleship is an avenue by which we can harness and foster that energy. The other thing is encouraging cross-generational relationships. How often as human beings do we find our peer group, those that speak the same language or those that think the same way, um, those that are within our own experience, often that segregates generations because we don't talk to each other and therefore we don't understand each other. And there was, a, there was this quote, sticky faith there, um, Joe Pfeiffer, Joe Pfeiffer, I think he did his master's on kind of historical overview of the faith of the Apostolic Christian Church. Um, and he, I don't know if he invented this term or if he found it in some of his research, but it's called a sticky faith. faith. And it's the idea that if, if cross-generational relationships were lacking, then that faith really was not transferred to the next generation. It wasn't sticky. Right? And, it, and it didn't get transferred, and therefore the next generation's kind of lost it and went, went elsewhere. I'll probably come back to this, but Hebrews 5.12, by now you should be teachers. That's a really humbling statement to receive. We'll get into that a bit more. Okay, why discipleship or mentor? Um, I alluded to the corporate world, but academics, athletics, music, right? I mean, it, this is so obvious, but what do you think is more effective? YouTube, textbooks? I mean, thank God for YouTube, right? Um, I had an experience, I shared this um, at another church I was giving this presentation at. I had an experience with my garage door. Um, the spring, the torsion spring in a garage door has a lot of torque in there. And I foolishly loosened the wrong screw. And thank God nothing in my body was in the way of things. Um, but I was, I was like, oh, okay. Like the whole thing is spun out, right? In a split second. And uh, that was even after reviewing a lot of YouTube videos. Um, <laughs> but nevertheless, uh, watching a lot of them and not being maybe led astray by this like, yeah, fix your garage door in two minutes. Uh, I finally kind of compiled the right amount of information together to figure out how to fix this thing. And I did. Um, but if I had someone who had just experience with me, it could have been a two, five minute job, right? And I think that carries over. Yeah, YouTube textbooks, they're great. But versus an experienced teacher, and the table just kind of captures some of those ideas. Right, you got experience, Hey, Tim, I've also made that mistake of loosening the wrong screw, right? Don't do this. You know, problem solved. I, I you know, completely mitigated that potential for injury. Um, 
you can have those examples of failure, but you also have the examples of success. Accountability, I think this is huge. That encouragement to kind of push you along when you feel like quitting. Why do people spend, I don't know how, I don't know what the industry is, but like millions and millions, maybe even billions, on personal trainers? Because we don't have the discipline to, to go to the gym and actually do the workout. It's actually quite easy in the sense of what you need to do, but that motivation, that's why we pay people, right? To get us motivated. One more rep, one more set, whatever it is. And to, to encourage you when you feel like quitting, combating that compromise so that end goal is of high quality. Um, and then, and then the, the relationship aspect, right? You can't have a relationship with YouTube or a textbook. When you have that relationship, there's this um, reciprocity, I think that's the right word, within that relationship that not only is the mentee or the one being discipled learning, and, and primarily learning, but also the mentor or the one who is doing the discipling sees perhaps a different perspective or a different struggle in that they learn from that as well. And so it, it kind of goes both ways. So a little bit more of like biblical grounding for this, right? It's clear, it's a biblical mandate. I like this picture because to me it, it, it shows um, kind of the reward of this one person reaching out to maybe a few people within his or her sphere of influence, and then these other people reaching out to other people within their sphere of influence, and you realize that, you know, my investment, I don't need to reach the world, but if I invest in those who are within my sphere of influence, so many lives can be touched. If this intentional disciple-making disciple kind of um, pattern continues among others. So even though that mandate, that, that imperative was given to the 11, right, uh, it's, we all recognize that it's applicable to all Christians. And here are some examples. I'm not going to go through too much detail. I think um, I'm surveying the audience. I think most of you can cite these probably off the top of your head, but just to call some of them out, we have a lot of writings from Paul, and invariably we have a lot of insight to Paul's life. He discipled Timothy, Titus, Anisimus, um, Priscilla and Aquila, disciple Apollos. That's an interesting relationship, right? Apollos is this bold speaker, but he needed to be corrected, right? And, and I would love to have seen this, this seemingly unassuming like couple, Priscilla and Aquila, kind of taking Apollos, like, listen, Apollos, you got some energy, buddy, but you're a little off the mark. The humility that Apollos needed to have, right, in order to correct his way, and then the amazing impact that he had that we can kind of infer from Corinthians, Right? He had such an influence that some people said, hey, I'm of Apollos, right? or I'm of Paul, or whatever. But the idea is that he has such an influence. And God used that by, by correcting his theology um, through this couple. Barnabas, that son of encouragement, right? such an awesome nickname to have. When, when the other disciples were afraid of Paul, Barnabas was like, no, this guy's legit. He's no longer the murderer that he thought he, or that he, he was. But he's truly converted. God changed his heart. And Barnabas was the one that kind of brought Paul into the, into the group, into that poor circle. And the other thing is that when that dissension between Paul and John Mark occurred, or when John Mark left Paul on the first missionary journey, and Paul's like, I don't want this guy. He's kind of a, I don't know what the reasons why Paul didn't like John Mark at that point in time. But there's a dissension, right? And, and, and Paul went with, I'm forgetting, somehow help me out. Silas? Silas. And then Barnabas went with John Mark. And the cool thing that you see is that you put together these little inferences from other epistles that Paul wrote, 
And we see that reconciliation occurred, thank you, between Paul and Mark. And Mark became this amazing, you know, evangelist or missionary or one that wrote scripture. And so, like, thank God for people like Barnabas. Continuing on with this example, but, but maybe more general, this is some instruction that we get from Paul to Titus of what it looks like within a, a church, you know, a fellowship, a congregation. Aged men and women teaching the younger. Now, sometimes age isn't always a correlation of maturity, but we hope it is because there's been more experience, more, more life lessons that you can glean from. Uh, but, but this is a model. I'll read it. Speak thou the things which become sound doctrine. Let the aged men be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith, in charity and patience. The aged women, likewise, that they be in behavior as become holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine. Sorry. It's kind of funny why Paul put that in for the wine. I don't know why. <laughs> Teach the good things. Take it for what it is. Um, that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands. That the word of God be not blasphemed. Young men, likewise, exhort to be sober-minded. Like the, the, the mature, discipling, mentoring, intentionally, those that are less mature. Some more... Maybe this, the title for the slide isn't... isn't exactly what I want to communicate, but, but maybe more, um, what, what is the, the benefit of, of discipleship? It, I've already kind of touched on this, helping to have that, that first-hand interaction with another person. Um, I think that that first sub-bullet on the far left makes following after Christ more tangible. So often in a church setting, and I'm, I'm probably guilty of this too, we, we have these statements that we make that are biblically accurate, but a little vague. And we all come away nodding our head, and then we go back to real life, like, what does that even look like? When I go back to the 9 to 5, when I wake up at 4 a.m. on Tuesday morning, what does that look like in practice? It sounds good when we're all nodding our heads in pews, you know, the preacher said it from the, from the pulpit, sounds good, but what does that really look like? And the only way you can really see that in a discipling kind of mentor relationship is if you're with people in life. When you see your mentor get cut off by someone on the road and you see how he or she responds or when maybe you're working with that individual and you see how they have a, a complaining client and you see how they respond maybe in love or a soft answer like those are the kind of things that 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 really give meat to the theoretical that we kind of discuss in a church setting the other aspect is, is, is the honesty, transparency that accompanies this, this relationship. Having similar struggles and temptations. I would love to have, have heard what it would be like to be discipled by Paul. Paul had struggles. You, you can't come away from a past of hating believers to the point that you want to kill them and not carry some of that over to your Christian life, okay? We, we read about Paul and we think that he's perfect because he wrote all the scripture. But Paul had struggles. Paul wrestled with things. And it had been so neat to see, you know, how, how do you deal with the, the temptation or the tendency to become legalistic, Paul? How do you deal with, with your hatred towards other people that kind of wells up within you, that defame the name of God that you love and that you, 
You've studied his word for all your life. Like, how do you work through these, through these things, Paul? To, to see those, those struggles and temptation as someone in their life really lived out. Another key point that discipleship is, is not just for new believers. Timothy, an elder of Ephesus, would be still being discipled by Paul. Sometimes we put our elders at some level, and I hope they don't think this of themselves. I'm not trying to, I'm not being arrogant with this, right? But you're never above the level of a corrective word or a mentor in your life or accountability. And if you think you are, there's some danger there, right? And there's going to be a significant fall after that amount of pride is, is within someone's heart. I don't wish that upon anyone, but I'm saying that, that it's not just for new believers. It's for all of us. Because there's always a need for a Christian to mature and to grow and become more and more and more victorious over sin in line with righteousness in love with God and loving others. I, I won't read this whole passage, but Ephesians 4 is so central to this idea. I'm trying to broaden this idea of discipleship. God has gifted us. When he gave some apostles and some prophets and evangelists, some pastors, teachers, Paul, when he lists these things out, he's not listing an exhaustive list of the gifts of the Spirit. We shouldn't constrain ourselves to how the Spirit empowers believers by the lists that Paul provides, like in 1 Corinthians 12 or here in Ephesians 4 or Romans 12, I think. But it's for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body, as I prayed. And, and there's, not, not that I don't like the text in the middle, but I'm just not highlighting it, right? I'm going to bring out something here. And we may grow up into him all things which is the head even Christ. And this is where the emphasis that I want to kind of broaden this concept of discipleship. From whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by which every joint supplied. Right? If you look at Paul's argument in 1 Corinthians, everyone has a part to play. It looks different, but everyone has an integral role in the body of Christ. You need the body, and the body needs you. And we see this, that's not just a cliche or something nice to say. We see it from, from Scripture itself, that every joint supplies something, right? According to the effectual working and the measure, every part, it makes the increase of the body unto the edifying itself in love. Ultimately, the Spirit is behind it. He's the force. He's the power. But God has ordained to work through human agency, right, to bring about the growth of his body and the, and the edification of his body. Um, yeah, for sure. I was just thinking, like, I've been talking a lot pretty quickly. Is this being recorded? Is that what yeah, you want? Yeah. yeah. Hello. Um, <laughs> hi, everybody. Y'all know I'm Frank. Back to couch. Um, so what came to mind, I think, in Tim's kind of explanation of what discipleship is, um, I've been exposed to discipleship in, in my walk as a Christian as well. And I think one of the, the, the coolest parts, and I think what the last slide kind of um, helps this thought process kind of come to get to where I'm about to go, is we all are gifted with spiritual gifts. And the Bible is very clear that we all have different gifts, some to teach, some to discern, some to interpret things, right? When we're part of this idea of discipleship, we get access to others that have the gifts that we don't have, right? So if I am very good at discerning, but our pastor or our preacher doesn't, right? Preacher who's not very discerning might be very good at preaching and teaching, but he could be easily thwarted in his ideas 
because he's not very good at discernment. But if he's being discipled as well, going back to the idea of not being above discipleship, by someone who is very, very clear-sighted, understands scripture, can can discern right from wrong, we now have a well, a better working machine from a gospel perspective. Um, one thing I think growing up in this denomination I, I have never really seen is the exposure of understanding what my spiritual gifts are. What are your spiritual gifts? Do you know them? How do you know them? Is there a test? Is there a prayer that God just kind of you know tells me what they are? Or do I recognize that over time? Do I develop that over time? I have multiple spiritual gifts. I think that kind of is where my mind goes when it comes to discipleship is it's exciting to know that I could be lacking somewhere and in a discipleship I can be fulfilled maybe in that area through another brother or another sister. However that works out, we have obviously the examples given that there are sisters that disciple as well. Yeah. So yeah, appreciate that. Appreciate that. I think um, I want to get through more, but I definitely want to come back to that. So remind me at the end. I want to try to leave some time for Q&A, uh, and we can touch more on, on that. Uh, that's, a, that's a really good point. Thank you. So there's parts of a whole. Just a picture that, that sticks in my mind that I want to have to stick in your mind as well. Um, in, in, this, in this image, not each thread. Every thread doesn't touch every other thread. Right? But when we, when we see, it, it kind of goes along with what you were describing, that as we see these gifts and we, and we, we have this um, better oiled or, or you know, working machine, as it's ever working together as a, as a better functioning body, uh, I like to think of the strong relational matrix, that kind of phrase. It just kind of sticks with me when I think about discipleship. And, and it looks beautiful. Like it, it, it's, I think it forms a tapestry of relationships that the world sees and will not readily go unnoticed. It corresponds to the, to the idea that their love for one another right, will be the mark of the Christian. That the fact that we are one will proclaim the fact that Jesus, or that the Father sent the Son. All right, so this is my attempt to define biblical discipleship. Agree or disagree? This is, this is, this is my take on it. And I try to break it up. I try to break it up into what, how, and why. So, what is biblical discipleship? It's intentionally equipping Christians. And I'm borrowing most language from Ephesians four, so I'm not trying to make up too much stuff here. But what is it? It's intentionally equipping Christians. How, by the power of the gifting of the Holy Spirit, with the truth of God's word in love and accountability. Now, that's a mouthful, right? But I wanted to get all those words in there because I felt like they're all important. We, we, we cannot neglect the power and the gifting of the Spirit, right? And that's not just some, like, you know, tip of the hat to the Spirit, like, oh, yeah, it's the Spirit's, you know, power when we have no idea what that really looks like. No, God's Spirit, maybe His power is not manifest the same way as it was at particular times. I don't want to get into that argument or that kind of debate. But nevertheless, we see that the Bible talks about the Spirit empowering believers and equipping believers to edify and grow the body. And so we cannot neglect the Spirit's operation. I think sometimes we're afraid of the Spirit because we see the abuse of, of those spiritual gifts, right? Like, be made well, or like, cancer gone, or like just foolish, you know, abuses of, of, 
of, of the testimony of Scripture. But I don't think we should recoil and say that, well, I don't want to have anything to do with the Spirit. Or just, like, I'm going to dip my, my toe in the pool with the Spirit's power. Like, no, the Holy Spirit's a power behind us. The other thing, though, is that we have the truth of God's Word before us, and the Spirit is to guide us in that truth. So His power works in conjunction with the, the truth of the Word. So we can't just go on experience, right? Get drunk again with the Spirit when it has nothing to do with the Word. Um, it needs to be grounded in the Word. So both those are hand in hand. Um, and the why? So we're intentionally equipping Christians by the Spirit's power, by God's Word. Why? So that we can serve others. So that we can mature our own personal character. So that we can grow the body of believers, right? Via discipleship or disciple replication. And that's my phrase I came up with. You know, faithful and capable followers of Christ who are then able to train others. And so underneath this, there's so much honesty and confession, encouragement, accountability, instruction. Um, all of those words. I think fall under this biblical discipleship. Let me touch on a few of these things, and I'll take some comments if, if some of these uh, items here, these bullets, kind of hit you. So I mentioned at the start that it's intentional, not accidental. I understand that there can be a very natural um, discipleship that takes place, especially among family members, like a father to a son. That's great. Amen to that. But sometimes... Maybe sometimes the parents aren't the best. Um, and there needs to be someone to help in that regard. And so in that situation, that's just one situation, we need to realize that only if there is an intentionality behind the discipleship will that discipleship properly take place. Right? I'm not speaking in absolutes, but I'm saying this generally. Um, we need to be intentional. It's not, we can't just rely on accidental, natural, like, yeah, they'll figure it out, or they'll fend for themselves, or the parents' job, that's, they should take care of it. Um, I think, I mean, like, think about Onesimus, a runaway slave. Paul finds him in Rome. Disciple, who cares who his parents are? Um, Paul saw an opportunity to invest in someone, to live up to the true meaning of his name, which means useful. Um, I think leadership needs to be involved with this. Obviously, this involves the whole body, but this kind of vision or frame of mind of, of discipleship, how that looks like in your local congregations, it depends on the size and logistics, but it needs to be initiated, exemplified, et cetera, guided by leadership, centered on God's truth, um, a lot of other things. I'll just pause for a moment. Does anyone want to like touch on any of these things? Or does this is draw out any comments from you? Yeah, Dave? Um, including the, the mic real quick. Including the uh, participation of the entire fellowship. Can you elaborate on that? Are they the ones being discipled, or are you saying the entire fellowship should be uh, doing the discipleship or being a disciple, essentially? I'm just saying that, but to answer your question directly, obviously not everyone's discipling everyone. It's kind of weird. Um, but I'm saying that I don't want people hiding in corners. You know what I mean? I don't want that 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 bench warmer just sitting back there doing nothing. And, and it's really a call to action for everybody 
Because so often our church is like, okay, you're a Bible class teacher, you're a minister, you have a defined role, that's your talent, that's your spiritual gifting, right? But what about the person um, who has something else to offer, but they don't have an official role? Um, or, or maybe someone's kind of coasting. And, and, and part of the, the purpose of this forum is to, is to hopefully encourage people, to, not to call them out, but like, hey, there's work to be done. You're alive. I love Erwin's comment um, in his sermon about retirement, uh, that there really is no retirement. As long as you're breathing, there are people in whom you can invest, right? There are relationships to be had. Um, if you're at that age, all the more like onus on you to, to actually invest in other people because you've had so much experience, supposedly, right? You have matured to that extent that you are a teacher and not receiving the rebuke to the Hebrews that you ought to have been teachers by this time. So that, that's kind of my thought on that. Thank you. Yeah. Okay, I like to discuss what things are not sometimes helps clarify. And with each of these statements that it's not, I have a however underneath it, right? To not throw the baby out with the bathwater. So biblical discipleship is not attending services or Bible class. I hope we can see that. However, I'm not saying that that's bad, all right? Don't, don't come away with that, right? Corporate learning, corporate worship, that's indispensable. We can't throw that out. Extremely important. But it doesn't replace, that doesn't, that's, not a, that's not biblical discipleship. Merely going through a booklet or a program, however, I think having some structure sometimes, a booklet I've done with other, other younger brothers, it provided, actually Matthew, Matthew, um, it provided a good structure. And there are questions in that booklet and, and different passages that kind of launch into other discussions. And I found it really, really enjoyable. And I don't want to put you on the spot, Matthew, but I will. Um, Matthew is a bit, uh, has a shyer uh, disposition, personality. And only when I started talking with him did I realize that he had some profound thoughts. And, and it is only in that relationship that we went through that booklet that, I, that, I, that really kind of came to bear in my mind. And I was really encouraged by it, and I hope I try to encourage him to kind of foster that and explore that. Um, and to me, that was a really valuable experience that I shared with him. Can you elaborate on that? On, um, your, on your experience that you shared with Matthew? With that process, I don't want to embarrass him <laughs> not, 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 not specifically or personally, but in a general broad sense of, of what that relationship looked like. With, that oh, intentionality, like? with the intentionality okay. like and the process. And so, so one thing... Um, La Puente is a geographically dispersed congregation, so we have some people up north, some people kind of in the middle, people down south, and during the midweek we try to you know get together uh, with those different groups. Um, but but also part of that was that Matthew kind of lived local to where I was in the in the middle group, and he was someone I don't know. Uh, uh, any Matthew can kind of interject here, but you were not. Were, were you you were a believer when we started discipling, right? I think you I don't were. I think I was baptized at that point. Okay, you were not baptized. I, yet. I had been counseling, I think. Okay, but, fair enough. Um, but it started, but then after his baptism, it also continued, right? But it was it was basically me going over his house or us going someplace else, hanging out a little bit. Um, but at the same time, intentionally going through this booklet and, and having a discussion, covering the basics, um, exploring in depth whatever topics kind of popped up. There's some cool questions in the margin of the booklet. And um, it, it just, 
it, it formed a relationship there that would not have happened otherwise, right? And, and it, it and was this part of mid, you know, like midweek Bible study. You you were together, and that it, it was clear to you. It yeah. made it easy for you to be intentional. Well, it wasn't at midweek. I, I, I understand that, but you, if you hadn't had that, oh, yeah. you might not have even thought about it. Correct. Correct. Yeah. I mean, it's like, it's kind of, um, what's, what's the phrase, like, out of sight, out of mind, yeah. kind of thing, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, go for it. Uh, does that help kind of answer the question? Yeah, I, I, yeah, I mean, I, I personally went through, sorry. sorry. I personally went through um, a real intentional training discipleship program. Um, my mentor at the time was 75, and I was, um, was 26. Okay. Um, he had 50 years of experience of teaching uh, individuals who Christ was and what it meant to be a disciple and, and everything that goes with it. Um, our intention, our, our training, with my training looked like every week we specifically designated one hour once a week to get together. Okay. And, and it's like it's 52 straight weeks. So for a year, I did that every hour, every week, once or once a week, one hour a week, and through that, I learned more than I could have ever learned. And this is from a 75-year-old man, someone 50 years older than me. And I know, looking back at it and having conversations with him, he learned quite a bit from me as well as a 25-year-old. You know, so I do want to encourage those who have who've known Christ for 50 years. You may not. You also may not think that you have this information that someone young, like a twenty-five-year-old, needs to know, but you do. And the the whole process was geared on successful witnessing. Um, you brought up spiritual multiple uh, spiritual replication. We refer to it as spiritual uh, multiplication. But the idea is to grow the church. I'm not talking about numbers. We're talking about the body of Christ, to grow the body of Christ. And how do you do that? Well, you share with other people. But how do you even share with other people? Well, you've got to learn who Christ is. You've got to learn how to do it, how to do it effectively. And these are all the things that we talked about every week for one year. And so I was just kind of interested because I still do that today on the flip side of it with a young man across the country who I meet with every week. I try to. And when, it, when, when we're talking about intentionality, you have to be intentional. You have to say, hey, Monday, 8 o'clock, let's get on the phone. Monday, 8 o'clock, let's be in person. Because if it's like, oh, hey, what's your schedule like next week? Oh, yeah. I don't know, I'm kind of busy, you know. Right. And so that's why I kind of want to know what your guys' kind of relationship was like. Okay, and maybe a couple more points of specificity. So we designated, I think, some night of the week. Maybe we're a little more fluid, but I think we met pretty much every week. Yeah, I'm trying to remember. It was, I think, more or less every week. And even though the booklet was a 10-week booklet, like, I didn't care how long it took, right? I wanted to go at an appropriate pace so that we'd cover whatever we wanted to talk about. So it was, and, and it was, I think it was more than an hour. I think we talked like a couple hours or so. Um, but, so we, we hang out, we, we do that. And there'd be some other things. I think I, I enjoy rock climbing, so we interviewed the, the climbing gym a few times, just to, you know, outside the context of this study in the Bible. But, and that's what it looked like. 
Yeah, and I'm not saying one way is better than the other, but it but it is good to understand because a, a lot of people in in our in our church don't understand what discipleship looks like. Is it is it just going to Bible class and just talking about discipleship? Right. No, it, it it really is spending time, dedicated time together to do it. Yeah, for sure. So it's just I just want to know a little bit about yeah. that. Yeah, pass it back. And just as the mic's being passed out, I'll I'll uh, talk one we'll thing. Oh, okay. Okay. Why are <laughs> uh, Jesus modeled discipleship for us. Yeah, it's relationship. Yeah, it is close relationship. So I think that that's kind of where my heart is and wants to, to be mentored and, okay. and kind of feel like that needs to go. Yeah, yeah, so we're, yeah. go for it. So in our in our church over Colorado Springs, um, we started the mentorship program actually on my baptism. We actually haven't before. I was baptized in 2019, about four years ago. Yeah. And um, uh, it was there's this pamphlet called My New Life in Christ that comes from Jesus Richmond Hill that created it. Uh, it was a Canadian church, I'm not too sure which one. Anyways, it was given to us, and it's usually used, it's usually used for people who were um, converting, but we started using it. The way we, we started doing it, it started with me and Brother Jerry Zakrabaki, was the minister gave it to us, and they basically told us, go and find a brother, pray about a brother in the church, that you trust that's respectful, that then you feel like is a godly brother, go and approach him and ask him to go through this pamphlet with you. And um, it, and when I was given that, I just I felt the leading to go to a brother that I didn't really know well. I didn't. It, 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 actually, I wanted to go to one of my cousins that I knew really well, but for whatever reason, the Lord kept pulling me towards this person that I honestly didn't really like that much. We were very different culturally. I, I'm, we were very Serbian. We were very Hungarian. Like there was a big difference, and I was a lot younger. I was very shallow at that point. Like. Those things mattered to me at that point when I was very young. And it kept me from wanting to do it, but I started to learn. I don't know why God you want me. I feel this draw to him. I went, and I started going to the pamphlet with him. It's a pamphlet that should only take you a few months to go through. It's been four years, and we still haven't finished it. Right and the way that we do it is once a month, because in our church, we don't have lunch at church. We have two services. Once a month, I just hop in his car with him, and I eat lunch with him. And I go, and we break bread together. And we discussed, and the reason why it's taken us so long to do it is because we've got to the point where we just stopped talking about like the topics. And if I had a problem that I was struggling with, and it went from being this person, this older brother that I really didn't want anything to do with, to now he's probably the most closest person I'm with. Just like Edmund Ryan Mark was talking the other day, if this world does go to the direction that it's going in, I know 100% there's a brother in the, the persecution fund that I can rely on. I know where he lives. I know how to get into his house and stuff like that. If I need someone, he knows that he knows the same with me. And there's this bond that has now come that, like, and he, he's mentored me in a way that has, has grown me spiritually in a way that I know I would not have. He's, he helped me get from drinking milk to eating meat and the Word of God so quickly. And it's gotten to the point now where we are hoping because... We've now, there's sadly been a lot of circumstances where we've offered it to new believers and they don't want anything to do with it. And we're hoping, maybe if we could talk to our elder, that it could be a process where, just like when you get baptized, you don't have a choice of going in front of the church now. You go and you give your testimony, you accept that fact when you become a member of our church. In the same like manner, I think it should be a process of like, hey, you understand by getting baptized in this church, this tradition now that we have is that you will find a mentor. We're not going to throw you to the wolves just to be, like, this is a process you need to go through, you should go through. Yeah. How that goes around, how it looks is, I understand, can be different, but yeah. man, it's blessed me, man, it's changed my life for the better. That's great. I really appreciate that testimony. And also to the points that you brought out is to highlight the idea of the, the formality of it. And when I say formal, um, I got a little bit of, uh, maybe, I don't know, backlash, but just reaction to that when I first gave this at La Puente. 
it's not about forcing people to these awkward in these awkward relationships. It's about the intentionality behind the formalism, right? It's like now, the only way to get more fit is you have to have some sort of program, right? Let's not deny the facts. And so this is a program, and so figure it out. You you specifically went to someone that you didn't feel most comfortable with. That, that's cool. Um, maybe that doesn't work for somebody else. But the idea is like it should be encouraged to the point where if that young believer is not doing it, it should get awkward and uncomfortable by the constant prodding of leadership. Like that is not an okay situation for you to be in. Uh, like you said, it's kind of left to the wolves. Like you need to have that accountability if you don't have it. Um, that discipleship. So, really appreciate that. The other point that I want to bring out um, with, with such a, a large age gap is that, I mean, you can, you can either agree or disagree that this occurred, but, but I would venture to guess that such a large age gap, there is, a, there is an informing of the older generation of the mindset of the current culture, of like what's going on, how you communicate in the current culture, because they might be a little bit more removed from it and not really knowing that, wow, that word actually changed meaning. <laughs> you can't use that word anymore. Or like, when I make this argument, it really doesn't have an effect because this is the obvious counter argument nowadays. Did that take place? Yeah, I, I don't know if I ever experienced that. Oh, because... please. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, I don't know if I ever experienced that because I was a believer of two years before I entered that process, so I was still a baby. Um, so we kept it. I don't want to say basic because it was super in depth, but it wasn't. It wasn't so specific to any generational Fair idea or belief. Okay, but I think it would come out nonetheless. Maybe it did, maybe it didn't, but there's still a, there's still that communication that's taking place across generations. Yeah, and, and on the point of like, we we at our church, um, when we have a new convert, they are um, prodded a little bit. They're encouraged to find someone to to be their mentor. It doesn't always work out. Um, I've mentored someone at a very young age, 15 years old, and I tried my very best to do what I could to cultivate that relationship, but the desire to learn more just wasn't there. And when I got mentored, my mentor came to me and said, hey, I want to seriously mentor you, and I want to dedicate my time to you, and I want a commitment from you. Is this something that you would like to do? Pray about it, and, and, and that helped for me. It is also hard to say, hey, go find a mentor, go find a mentor, because it does become a box. Too. Yeah, that's a fair qualification. Um, you can only lead a horse to water, right? You can't force him to drink. Erwin. So for about 100 years in Mansa, we haven't had discipleship. Um, last year we started one. And so all the past 12 uh, young ones that were discipled, that were baptized, became uh, were given accountability partners, mentors. Um, so there was a call went out, those that were interested in being the mentors. So we basically assigned kind of uh, who they would be comfortable with. Um, and that's worked so far. We're coming up to year two, so we'll see that it's still it's in, in its infancy. So I wouldn't say it's successful yet. It seems like it's been successful. We'll see it's going to continue into year two. 
Uh, to kind of go to your question, Dave, about you know how do you do this church-wide, it's very hard, I think, when you haven't been doing it for 100 years or so. Um, but I think from here, it looks like it's going to continue to grow, where these that are being discipled, they'll continue to disciple, and then these young ones that just started discipling should be eventually discipling other ones. How to start getting the older ones, that's, that's something that we're wrestling now with as leadership. How do we do that? Do we do it through potlucks? Do we do it through... Uh, small groups uh, that um, we talked we talked about recently. Um, I do think as leadership, those that those that I counsel, and I know Eric as well. We counsel the majority of the, in our in our church. They are assigned. Now it, that's fine. They, uh, they would be go picking them, uh, pick someone. But I do believe it is not. It is. It has become in Mansfield where it is mandatory. It's not. It's just like you go before the church. You will be given, or if you want, if you have someone in particular, you can find someone. But you are given someone to be discipled. Uh, that way, the, the issue of if you have an issue, you can almost go through, or the disciple, the person, the mentor can handle that issue, or can be working with that young convert. It's absolutely insane to think that, like a group, you know, done, like you, like a point you have there, done by elders or teachers or men only. That's absolutely uh, impossible. Doesn't work. There's not enough time, and then we're only addressing the bad things rather than encouraging the good things. Um, so those are the things that. Uh, that's how I think, it, like in other churches, it, it has to be uh, intentional. Like you're, you're talking, but how to get now since we haven't been doing it for a long time, how to get the rest of the church involved is probably the next uh, issue that we, we we in leadership in Mansfield are now grappling with. Can, can, sorry, while you have the microphone, can you elaborate on that? Like, what does that look? You have twelve people that that are specifically mentoring twelve that know over the last year that have been. Converted. Yes, so we had like twelve converts in the past two years. So each of them, uh, we individually went up to them and, and said, we had a group that it, it worked out. There was almost twelve brothers and sisters, and it worked out six. It was I think six and six, six brothers and six sisters mentoring the the newly converted ones. And so what's also probably very important from a leadership perspective is meet regularly with teaching the teachers. Um, so a lot of these have never been discipled. They've never been, they've never taught, they've never counseled. So we would have meetings, regular meetings, where we are discussing what is the topic, how to talk, do you go out to eat, do you go, how often do you meet? And then there's encouragement too, because eventually out of the 12, three were meeting as regularly. And then you've got to, you got to intervene at that point. As leadership, we've got to intervene and say, hey, is there something we can do? How can I help you out? Eventually, I think two or three, we pulled, and, and, and the Lord provided three new uh, mentors to kind of take the baton and, and continue on. Because the most important thing is not is to make sure that the, the, the ones that are being discipled are being taken care of, not whether, oh, I didn't have time. I eventually will have time. Well, you should at least regularly meet once a month was our minimum. Uh, once a week, that'd be great. Some meant more. Once a month was our minimum, where we then the leadership held them accountable to that. Yeah, thank you. Oh, sorry. Well, you can be thinking about this question more. No, it, it was mentioned uh, young and old, but it was mentioned aged uh, men and uh, the women. Uh -huh. I think I'm the oldest here, probably, and. Uh, <clears throat> I would say in my life, to see, we have to first of all be good example. And from our good example, the way we live, how we behave, what we do, 
lot of people can learn and have a desire the same to do that. You mentioned, you know, that the old man learned from you something. Well, the Bible says the wisdom is not in one, it's in many. Doesn't matter young or old. So always we can teach, I'm not enough, we even do that this, but anyway. Uh, we can learn always from each other. I want to see the example. I never thought of something like this. In Florida, we live, you know, and when we go for a walk, my wife and I, we holding hands and going to the city. Nobody knows who we are. And a young man come towards us with a bike. And he yelled out and he said, I wish I would have a marriage like you. <laughs> there, just holding hands, we gave a good but too bad he was so fast with the bike, I couldn't stop him to tell him how. Well, that's what I want to say, how we live, what we do. People can't even see that we don't say anything. Okay, that's what I wanted just to say. Thank you. All right, uh, I, for the sake of time, I'm just going to throw these up there. There may be other reasons. I think we touched on some of this, but let's just kind of peruse these real quick. Um, I think maybe sometimes we don't want to make the investment. Discipleship takes time, time, and more time. Um, I think we all agree that pre-baptism pre -baptism counseling is not sufficient. But maybe some in other places think it, it was or is. I'm not sure about that. Uh, but, but maybe that is a thought. Um, I've already addressed the idea that maybe we think discipleship will happen naturally. But I, I just don't. I don't think that's true, it's especially across family lines, um, especially when it's needed. Perhaps not involved in general. Um, we're afraid of what others teach. Of what others teach. I think maybe some some people in leadership they don't think that others are adequate to teach, and maybe others are not. Adequate. Maybe, maybe we, you think that you're not equipped. Maybe you, you, you know you don't think you're adequate to teach. And maybe that's an accurate assessment. But I appreciate what everyone brought out is that um, some of these individuals who are mentoring had not taught or mentored before, and so there's some training, like mentoring for the mentors, right? And uh, it, it just kind of helps everyone. Um, and I don't think we can. It's an appropriate excuse anymore to say that well, I'm not going to do this, I don't feel equipped, or I don't feel called, or whatever it is. I think it's a, there's some sort of involvement at some level with, with all of us on this, and if we're not equipped, I mean, think of this analogy. You've been working on a job for about 10, 15 years, and your boss comes in and says, I want you to mentor this new hire. And you're like, sorry, I don't really know how to do that. I don't really know how to, how to transfer the knowledge of the job that I've worked for the past 10 or 15 years to this new hire. I mean, well, if you were the boss in that situation, like, what are you talking about, man? You've been doing this job for 10 or 15 years. You've been living the Christian life for 10 or 15 years. You've been supposedly studying the Bible, but you have no idea how to communicate what you've been living, something that's supposed to consume all of your life. You don't know how to communicate that to, to a new believer. Now, I'm not trying to make anyone feel bad. Obviously, different personalities lend themselves to be able to do that more effectively and more naturally. But just a general principle, that even the, the, the nerdiest, I work in an engineering field, the nerdiest person, right, with the thickest glasses and, and the most awkward personality, still should have the capacity somehow to, confer, to transfer knowledge to another person, right? 
they try to help in God. They might not be the most effective, but it, I, I think of that indictment in Hebrews. You should be te- like you're not even teachers by like that should weigh on 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 those that have been in the faith for many years and yet still feel inadequate of, of not being able to, to teach. Maybe that's a reflection of their their maturity. Um, Geographic limitations, right? I mentioned about La Fuente. It's we're all over the place, um, but we try to work within our our local regions, and that's what I did with Matthew. So, just to throw this out there for for some perspective, we have a lay ministry, right? No one, or at least the vast majority of those who who serve in our churches and our fellowships are not paid. Right, it's volunteer, and so when you have kids, when you have a job, when you have, you know, thinking about myself, like the time is is of the essence, and there's a challenge there. But there's also an opportunity. I, I hate the statistic of 20% of the people doing 80% of the work, but it just, I don't know, when humans get together, that seems to be what happens. But it'd be so cool to see that change. Right? And that's why I encourage this idea of like the whole congregation kind of coming together. Like all believers working in this regard together, bringing something to the table. Um, maybe it doesn't look as formal as some of the, the mentorship examples that were brought out, but, but, but something. And so I, I think that there is an opportunity here um, over and against the challenge that a lay ministry ought to tend more toward this involved fellowship. And that corresponds with Ephesians 4. what should we do? This is kind of similar, right, to the, to the forum this morning. In one particular area, right, but I think we need to be convinced that we need to change this area, and it's really cool to see that other fellowships have picked this up and are making those changes. Um, develop a culture, right, I like that word culture of disciple making, that it, it's, maybe it's a strong word to say it's a mandate when you get baptized and you need to find a mentor or, or just, uh, someone to disciple you, but that aside, just if we have a culture then this intentionality will kind of become a little bit more natural, right? Um, when I first did this, uh, I initially brought this to our regional ministers and elders meeting, and uh, it was an idea that I threw out. People liked it, so I came with a presentation and gave it. And then afterwards, thought that, well, I should kind of take my own action. What should I do? And as a, as a minister, I figured, like, well, let me put together a little sermon series on discipleship. So I put together a three-part sermon series to hopefully encourage other people. And that didn't exactly get the most traction as what I wanted. And maybe there was more that I could have done there. And you can still do there. But nevertheless, like, whatever little action that you can take to try to foster this, this culture, foster and encourage this kind of mindset, um, you know, do that. Um, just like a couple quotes here, I think that would kind of be fun. Give a man a fish and feed him for a day. Teach a man a fish and feed him for a lifetime. Right? That just flows with this whole concept of discipleship. Um, it's very lazy when we simply defer to the leadership to make decisions for us. What kind of music can I listen to? I literally heard that at this brothers meeting, right? These like national brothers meeting. Like, like discern, right? Figure it out. Like, 
read the Bible and figure out like what makes sense. I mean, we put all this responsibility on the elders to, to, to lead us in that regard. And I'm not disrespecting their, their authority their, or their guidance. The point is that there should be some discernment in the pews. There should be some knowledge in the pews, right? We should have some responsibility of ourselves. And, and, I, and, and that's the kind of fellowship that I think is going to foster into a lively, healthy church that has this discipleship taking place. Um, drawing from already developed resources, there is a fear, I think, um, to throw out a hot topic word, fraternization, I think there's a fear from borrowing from other pastors, other authors, other things, and the only people that are authorized to discern that are, are is, is the leadership, and I don't agree with that. I think we should have the discernment to be able to, to figure out, like, well, let's take the good and leave the bad, right? And drawing from other resources that have already been developed, it's so hard. There's, it takes so much energy to get inertia moving in the right direction or to, to develop maybe tools or booklets or whatever it is. Um, there's a, like, the, the booklet that I went through with, with, with Matthew was from another church, some non or some evangelical non-denominational church. I'm like, this looks pretty solid, right? And I edited it with, 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 um, with, with Dushko, my elder, and, and whatever, and just went with it. Um, I like this quote in the bottom right. If you try to reinvent the wheel, be careful, as you might end up with a square wheel. Right? Like, I don't know. Take it for what it's worth. But it's like, why reinvent the wheel when we have so many good resources around us? Take the good, leave the bad. We need to be able to develop some discernment and wisdom. I'm not going to go through all this. A lot of detail here. But I wanted to provide um, some kind of principles that I think are important when we actually do discipleship. Honesty, confidence, just to touch on that. All right, we're a family church. I'm just telling my brother, just telling my cousin. <laughs> all of a sudden, the whole church knows, right? Because we're all related. That cannot take place, especially under the guise of just like a prayer request. If we don't have confidentiality, especially when it comes to particular sensitive topics, then trust is broken. If you don't have trust, you're not going to have communication, you're not going to have relationships. You, we need to figure that out a little bit better, um, I think, in our fellowship. Intentionality, center of God's truth, prayer together. Just to throw this out there, different applications. I think some of the examples that were brought up were more so just new believer, maturing, him or her. Uh, but there's so many different things. Marriage, just um, evangelizing, as you mentioned, right? sharing the word, uh, just various addictions. It's amazing how God, God is an amazing God of, of redeeming. Of, of, of saving something from loss, right? Buying back. Uh, and, and, I, and I think of the idea that all of us have some sort of sins and struggles and some sort of like natural predisposition, whether it's somehow, I don't know how it works, whether it's genetically passed down or whatever, but certain tendencies, and hopefully we found victory over some of those things. And I think it's, it behooves us that we if we have found victory in some area of our sin in our lives, we have a, I dare say, a moral responsibility to help other people who are struggling in that area. 
it. Yeah, I'll leave it at that. Mental illness, I can't touch that. I'm not trained for that. Um, but that's something that I know in, in, in Vista San Diego that they've been pulling together some resources to help individuals in that camp. But anyway, there's, there's so much of grieving, right? I've not lost my spouse or a son or a daughter. But if you have and we've worked through that, it's like, like we need that, right? And not just the comforting words like, I'll pray for you, even though those are, you know, if it's said in sincerity, if it's good, it's valuable. But really coming alongside someone and helping them through that grieving process. Um, I don't think I can touch that because I haven't really experienced that. Maybe I can provide some biblical principles, but I wouldn't feel qualified there. So I would defer to someone else who has. Who has. Um, so this is the end. And I think we got enough Q&A. Um, we can talk more if anyone wants to. But here's the conclusion. It's commanded in the scripture. Indispensable for a local body, for the health of a local body. It's going to take effort, time, and investment. I want to get everyone involved to whatever extent we can. And I want to leave a legacy of this. These kind of relationships, this love, I think when we're in the, 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 having, the having Bible study just, just an hour ago, like love is what we carry forward into heaven, and that speaks to the relationships that we have. And that's all I have. So um, any other like final comments? I know I'm over time now. I really appreciate everyone's time, but anything anyone wants to share, I'll give a couple seconds. Because you mentioned... Uh, those who are those who are those who are you know mental or uh-huh. have you know a different issue. I learned in my life that with those people, and especially to say in Florida, our neighbor lady, she was okay. And once she started to talk funny and forget what really fast is going down. I never could say anything, it was no good, anything that I would say, no, this is not so, or you don't understand this or that, that is bad thing to talk to people like this. She comes to us, she was a neighbor, and she said to me, Costa, come in my house, I cannot find my gun, and I want to help him to find, and if somebody comes at the door, I'm going to shoot him. I said, Gloria, I'm coming, okay, let's go, and slowly we went in her house. I came in and I opened the drawer. I said, Gloria, what kind of paper is this? Oh, she says, I don't know how this She forgot about that. <laughs> so we have to try to mislead them, not talking against. But it's funny, if you talk against, they don't forget it. So that is one thing with the people who are forgetful. It is not good to go against them, say no, or you're not allowed, or this is no good, or stuff. You know, I just wanted to say that that's what my experience was. And my daughter-in-law, she said, Dad, how can you be so patient with a person? I said, I understand she doesn't know any better anymore. I know what she was a few years before. But now she says, I see she doesn't understand. The same as a little kid. How, how can you be? When he doesn't understand. Okay, I'm sorry. I don't know. Any other closing comments? Do you have some resources to recommend? Um, I really like the booklet that I use okay. in terms of like a general uh, discipleship. Kind of yeah. But I know, I'm pretty sure that Kitchener has a pretty decent one. Uh, uh, we use, I think, the New Life in Christ and then also something else. But that one is good as well. I'm just wondering what else you have. I, I think part of the idea is that, I'll say this, if the, if the mentor is equipped, him or herself, then it almost doesn't matter the resource. Almost, right? right? Because as as the 
it just provides a structure or some sort of like banks as the river kind of flows, right? And just kind of gets the conversation going. Uh, so, and that's kind of my opinion. Um, is the resource asking the right questions? Um, is it guiding us in terms of how we approach the scripture? Sometimes with the, with the new believer, it's just kind of covering the basics, right? Um, and, and, and the particular scriptures that, that highlight these basic doctrines. But beyond that, I think it's just getting the conversation going. Um, and, and, and I like how, you know, some of the time, I'm forgetting your name in the back. Jonathan. Yeah, Jonathan. Um, how when you when you met up with your mentor, it's, you didn't even talk about what was what was on schedule for that day, but it's something that you were working through, right? And it became a natural process of once while while we were talking about it, like it, it, it was the very basic doctrines of what is the atonement, what is sanctification, sure. very basic basic doctrines. But they would break off the two. My my mentor was very um, he was very purposeful in saying how to supply your life, and then that would start personal conversation, and I felt more and more comfortable. And I started realizing, like, no matter our differences in culture or personality, I'm a very outgoing, boisterous person. He's a very reserved, very quiet person. We're total opposites of personality. I can't think of a brother I'm closer to. And that's and I can share anything with him. And it became just off that basic pamphlet of just talking about yeah. what does it mean to be a Christian? And I can be completely vulnerable with that brother. And I can confess things to that brother, which is what I need for healthy, healthy growth. So, yeah, the pamphlet wasn't like the most extensive thing in the world. There's even some things in there where we were kind of like, eh. But it started the comfortability of now a brother who I never would have had a relationship with. I can now trust that. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, to answer your question more directly, uh, I think that would be maybe the, the follow-up to this forum. The main purpose, my intent with this forum was to make awareness hopefully arouse a desire within people, um, provide some good principles, and and like just kind of a little bit of a kick um, to, to get going. That, that's the main idea. So uh, to be honest, like, I haven't done so much extensive resource, uh, or research in terms of, uh, these are good resources in terms of discipleship stuff with all these different topics. It was, it was more so just to broaden our appreciation and need for it. Uh, so I, I apologize, don't have any resources. I would say um, Campus Crusades does a good job with, with the younger individuals, and they have information on their website. Okay. Also, Campus um, Crusades, PowerPackInfo, PowerPackInfo.com. It's got free. I mean, you do have to you, you have to go through it's got curriculum, but there's also handouts that are simple things like what does spiritual growth look like? Oh, it looks like this, 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 and this, and it's definitely it goes straight to the word. So there's handouts as well as curriculum. I guess a little bit of my concern is, and Kitchener's been having a program like this for quite a while, um, whereas, yeah, it's basically um, required once you're baptized that you find a mentor. Um, I, I'm not really involved, so I don't know too much about how it works, but some concern that I would have is that no one, a lot of us have never been mentored ourselves because it's not really been part of our tradition. And then to um, ask them to mentor someone else without giving some guidelines. So maybe we yeah. need something like, Okay, um, Brother Urban is gone, but right. like you said, like how do you mentor the mentors so that they know how to mentor? And there's a difference between yes, you can live something, but can you effectively teach it? So that's why I guess I was thinking about okay, what resources could you give to help mentors who maybe are spiritually mature but don't necessarily know how to communicate as clearly, or just yeah. like you said, those those guide rails that just okay, this is these are the important points to touch on, and then you know you go from there. I kind of think of analogy like I'm a teacher, and you know I 
I know my content, but I appreciate having a textbook to keep my class on track, right? Sure. So um, in the same way, is there some kind of resource that could just give the, the mentors um, something to keep them on track? And then obviously, you know, as it applies to your life, you, you continue to talk that way. So that the mentoring is deep, not just, hey, let's get together, how was your week? I can sympathize with that, right. let's pray. But it can, has a potential to just be shallow if we're not um, intentionally studying the word deeply yeah. and teaching them to get past like what shared the milk of the word to the meat of the word, um, yeah. just to facilitate that as well. Yeah, to be honest, I'm pretty sure a quick Google flip search come up with lots of materials with that. Um, but I, I, nevertheless, I think your point is well made. Um, there needs to be intentionality and structure there, so it's not just a exactly to summarize. Hey, how's your week? I can synthesize that stinks. Let's pray. All right, catch you next week. That's not too much. It is worth something, but we want to it would be nice to do like a follow-up form, but then now we're waiting a year, and it's like everything is lost. You know what we talked about today? I, I don't know. I'm, I've been in ACC for nine years. I married into it. Didn't grow up into it. Still don't know how this all works. But, um, like, is there a way to, like, I mean, because this is a serious question here. If you if you want to mentor someone, but you just don't know how, well, then you're going to sit on that for a year until you learn, you know, at the forum. So is there a way to, like, get something together other than... You know, like, is there a, is there a, a Zoom meeting we can have? Because yeah. I definitely have a lot of experience mentoring people and being mentored, and and we can do that one on one too. But you're not the only one that would benefit from kind of learning what I went through, and some other people here too have gone through the same thing. It would be nice to continue this conversation. I don't know how it works though. All right. Well, I'll, I'll take that action then, um, and, and see what I can do in terms of coordinating with other. And I would love to be a part of it. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And it sounds like several churches are being more intentional about right. this. And I mean, maybe, maybe I'm not in any leadership position, obviously, so I don't know what's being done. But maybe some coordinating between churches of sharing right. exactly. what's yeah. working and how it's being done. You know, especially like the mentoring the mentors. Um, how, how that, how's that working in Mansfield? Could that be shared with the other churches? Yeah. I'm surprised no one asked how things are going on one day. Um, I got that question in San Diego, and I'm like, we can improve. Um, I was going to ask you personally, who are you mentoring right now? Um, we can, I can, uh, I'm not trying to avoid the question, but uh, um, I can answer that offline. No, 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 I'll say no like not that. to put you on this spot. No, no, I, it's just maybe will How is mentoring going in? I, I would say this, we don't have something formal, just to speak generally. Um, we don't have something formal in place, like I'm advocating for, right? Um, and I think that has to do with some struggle there with um, the geographic dispersion, um, the the need for for people to kind of step up and help out. Um, you know, I, I do it remotely with a guy who lives across the country. Yeah. And, um, some some weeks it works out. Sometimes it doesn't. He's moving. I'm moving. But at the same time, it's it, it's as intentional as it can be right now. Yeah. And that's valid. Like, we should take advantage of that kind of stuff. Actually, we did have a couple of high schoolers, just kind of random. I think it was like, you know, during COVID, and most churches were closed, but we were open. Yeah. Um, we had a couple guys uh, come to uh, come to our church. I don't know why they drove so far, but they did. It's like maybe we live an hour away. Um, I don't know how they found us. But nevertheless, I got them up the same booklet that I was going through with Matthew, and, and we, we met over Zoom a few nights. Um, one guy was into it more so. The other dude, like, just seemed to kind of follow the, the trail of his buddy. 
not really into as much. But um, that kind of faded. But nevertheless, I tried to take advantage as much as possible in terms of using Zoom to meet during the week because we were not in the same locality. It would suck that people like would want to be mentored and we just don't have the mentors there because of, of you know technology or fear of time or whatever. Yeah. I think, I'll just say this, that I think that in some cases, maybe in particular, that there's maybe more of a lack of desire to want to be mentored. Yeah. Um, because it does, it does take that honesty and transparency, and that's uncomfortable. And I try to lead with that, right? As a mentor, I'm like, look, this is where I'm at. Um, I hope I don't communicate anything that, or I hope I don't um, come come across with this facade that I got everything put together. And that's the last thing you want in terms of honesty and transparency. You want that vulnerability and lead by it, and all of a sudden the, the mentee realizes, like, hey, this is a safe place, and I can open up to you. Um, Good. Well, thanks everyone. I really appreciate the comments. Um, it's really encouraging to hear how other churches are rolling out some of these programs. So thank you really much, very much for your participation and comments.